0: Good morning. My name is Bill Reynolds. I'm one of the elders here at Encounter Church. I want to welcome you guys here this morning as we've been going through uh, the Sermon on the Mount series. And if you remember last week, Jesse talked to us about biblical judgment and what that looks like. And just as a fun aside, we get a notification because we broadcast all these things live on Facebook. And so last week, Jesse's title of his sermon was Judging Others, and so I got a notification on my phone, Encounter Church is Live, Judging Others, right now. So uh, today, Encounter Church is Live, Asking, Seeking, and Knocking, and that's where we're going to be today. So if you would, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 7. Matthew is in the New Testament. It's towards the end of your Bibles there. Uh, If you have the large print version, I'll just tell you it's on page 1,510. Um, if you're in the small print version, I don't know where that is, so you're just going to flip until you find it. But this morning, I'm in the summer of good works. I mean, sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been talking through, we've been hearing how Jesus used this sermon to kind of set a new example for people. He talks through what does fasting look like, what does it look like on reliance. We were told about how we're precious to God. All these different things, and the whole idea behind the Sermon on the Mount is it's a complete shift for everyone that's listening. Because this is all new. As Michael said, you know, faith and being in real time, being in God's presence. This was the first time that a lot of these people had heard a message like this. That there was a God that cared for them. That this way of interaction, suddenly faith was made real and Jesus, God's son, is walking in front of them. And is, he's telling them all these different things, all these different ways of working. He wants them to see that, like, here's what you kind of thought you knew, but here's what, what you really need to be doing now. Some of it may be just because now the world has changed and because of the crucifixion that Jesus knows is in his future and what that forgiveness looks like. He knows that there's going to be some changes that have to happen. And on the other side, it could be just that you you didn't understand exactly what I meant. So let me give you a little bit higher way of understanding here. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, hopefully you're there with me. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As I was preparing for for this message this morning and and looking at it, one of the things is if you read through that, uh, there's a problem, and my seminary friends will understand this. So the New Testament originally was not written in English. It wasn't even written in King's English for you King James enthusiasts out there. It was actually written in Greek. And so in Greek, there's a problem here with this text. And here's how this works. So and I told you, you're going to get literature, you're going to get all kinds of good stuff. So in our language, we have verb tenses, right? And so it just, you guys got to put on your old English hat. So we had past tense, present tense, future tense. So something I already did, something that's happening right now, something I'm going to do in the future. Well, in Greek, and there's a couple other languages that have it too, but especially in Greek, there's this really neat thing called future perfect tense, and so, what future perfect tense means, it's something I'm going to do now, keep on doing, and keep on doing it until some other time in the future. So we don't have, a, we don't have that construct in English. We don't do things that way. And so, the way that this verse really should be, and this is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it, it should translate something closer to this: "Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking." and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives and the one who searches finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened it's not just ask once take a look around give a knock it's do that and keep on keep on keep on and so if you this is the same thing from John 3:16 whoever believes it's actually believes now and continues to believe on and on and on and on and on it's that same idea. It's not just a one-time thing. And so from that, from how this comes together, and looking at asking, seeking, and knocking, I want you to keep this in mind because it resets the way that that verse kind of reads. So it's, it's talking about continual, continual, continual. And when you get to that, you get to the idea this morning of diligence and persistence. Persistence. And that's really what this passage is about, is being diligent and persistent in what we do, the way we approach God, the way we approach our faith, the way we approach everything. And if your world is anything like my world, I am not that great at diligence and persistence. Sometimes I am, and sometimes I am awful at it. It takes one or two times for me to skip something, and then suddenly it's just gone. It's like, oh man, I'm going to get up every morning, and I'm going to start doing this, and that works good until I oversleep once, and then I'm like, oh, that's... Dope. And then it goes away. Or you can drive... You know, last week, Je- Jesse talks about judgment. You can drive up and down the road and see some people who are less diligent about mowing their grass in their front yard, and they have a small field where they're going to have to soon start raking and making hay. Well, I, I don't think they woke up that day and said, you know, I'm just not going to mow my grass anymore. It just skips. It gets away from you. Things happen happens with all kinds of things and just in our world our world is so busy where we have the best of intentions to stay diligent and to go through or just adversity something comes something something trips us up and it's just we just hang it back up and we go back to what we're used to just a little bit less rocking the boat a little bit there this this as i was Talking this morning, I went ahead and told the worship team some of these, but I went up and looked online for some examples of diligence and persistence because I always love the underdog story. I like the guy who pushes through adversity and goes through. And so I've got a couple of stories here, uh, just from our world, that talk about diligence and persistence. Um, does anybody know who Vince Lombardi is? Anybody know? Yeah. All right. This is just for you, Dave. I made this one. So here's about Vince Lombardi. Once an expert said of Vince Lombardi. He possesses minimal football knowledge and lacks motivation. Later on, Lombardi wrote, it's not whether you get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Amen. There we go. I got an amen for Vince Lombardi. All right. So Fred Smith, does anybody know who Fred Smith is? He's the founder of FedEx. You guys heard of FedEx? You know, the, the trucks? So f- about Fred Smith, I once in college, he received a C on his paper that detailed this idea for a reliable overnight delivery service. His professor at Yale told him, well, Fred, the concept's really interesting and well-formed, but to earn better than to see, your idea really has to be practical and feasible. Uh, Let's see, I got a couple more here. Uh, Daniel Boone, I love this one. Daniel Boone was once asked by a reporter if he had been lost in the wilderness, and Boone thought for a little bit, and he said, no, but there was this one time I was bewildered for about three days. And then finally, Thomas Edison Thomas Edison's teacher said that Thomas Edison was too stupid to learn anything. He was fired from his first two jobs for being non-productive. But as an inventor, Edison made 1,000 unsuccessful attempts at inventing the light bulb. When a reporter asked him, how did it feel to fail 1,000 times, Edison simply replied, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was just an invention that took 1,000 steps. So that diligence and that persistence, the world will tell you Stop, give up, don't do it. Just be quiet. It's not worth it, you can't. And Jesus is trying to contradict that whenever he's saying, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. He's trying to call us to something higher. And so what I wanna do is start to open that up and see, well, what does it look like? And so it's not gonna be very hard to follow along with the, the three things we're gonna look at in this verse. You can probably figure it out. We're gonna look at what it looks like to be asking. What it looks like for seeking. Anybody want to guess what the third thing we're going to look at is? Knocking. Yeah. So asking, seeking, knocking. And so we're going to start with asking. The idea behind asking is simply this. Can you help me? Now, that sounds pretty straightforward, right? Well, if you're going to ask for help, you have to say, can you help? But think about what that really means. It's hard to ask for help. It really is. I mean, there's always a joke about guys not stopping to ask directions uh, my kids tell me that I don't read instructions. I tell them they're simply guidelines and, and ideas. They're really You don't have to follow them until you have a couple parts left over and realize you need to take everything apart and start over again because there was something in there you didn't understand. Or just the, the, humil- the place of humbleness that it takes to say, I just can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing. Or I just need some help. I, I can't pull myself out of this. I'm not strong enough. And if you think about the world around us, It's really not built to ask for help a lot. You really have to have a friend because what'll happen is you ask somebody and you're like, well, what are they gonna do with it? Are they gonna hold it against me? Are they gonna gossip and tell their friends? Is it gonna show up on social media somewhere? Is it gonna come back out and haunt me sometime later? What does it look like to say, to actually put your heart in a place to say that I'm not strong enough to do this on my own and I really need somebody else's help? And I have to trust you enough to just, that's where it stops. Because I can't put any strings on it anymore when I ask for help. And in that being knocked down, if you've ever asked for help and someone's told you no, oh man, that rips your heart out. You're like, I really could have used some help. No. So what Jesus is saying here is that he wants you to ask. And in that asking, remember, it's that keep asking and keep doing this. But he says, hey, spoiler everyone who asks will receive. Matt was telling me this morning, Steve Jobs said, if you never ask, you'll never find out. You have to ask. You have to do this. And so that's where it's starting from. But it's also putting yourself in that place of humbleness that you are willing to say, I can't. And from that standpoint is where this all starts. That's why I think Jesus started this passage with asking. And in John 16, he reminds us, in that day, you will not ask me anything. I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. Now, just put this in context. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He's, uh, he's alluding to the fact that he's getting ready to go to the cross, and then he's going to be resurrected, and then he's going to go and ascend into heaven. Holy Spirit's going to come. And so it's that day after the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus says, you will not ask me anything because he's not going to be there. That's, that's where that is. So not just like suddenly you're, you don't need Jesus anymore just to put it in context. And then he says, I assure you, anything you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. But people hadn't been praying in Jesus' name before them because this is all brand new. This is all, there, there had not been any kind of command by God before. We always, asked, we always prayed to God. We always asked the Lord for his help. We always used the Lord's name as a place to call upon. But now Jesus is saying, ask through me because I'm your mediator. I will be here. And anything you ask... You'll receive so that your joy may be complete from your heart. Because how much joy is it whenever somebody actually listens to you and helps? You're like, man, thanks a lot. I really needed that hand. Thank you. Thank you for listening and answering and coming and being there. And, but from that, it starts, you have to ask first. Yes, there are people and there are spiritual giftedness that people will reach out and see that you need help beforehand. But God is saying, how much better is it if you start from this place of humbleness and say, God, help me out. I need some help. Ask. Just ask. And next is seeking. And the idea behind seeking is if you've ever sought anything, the level of importance of what you're looking for is directly proportional to how much effort you put into it. And here's what I mean. So if you're walking down the road and you realize that you have lost a, you know, 50 cents out of your pocket as you were walking, what is the likelihood that you're going to stop everything and start scouring the sides of the road to look for anything? Probably pretty low. If you were walking down the road and your credit card and license have fallen out of your pocket, odds are good that your seeking will be much higher because you're going to go and start looking around. You're going to start seeking more. So whatever your heart is looking for, whatever that idea is, God's saying that's where you're going to be. And so he's saying, keep searching. And the one who searches finds. So it's the idea of if you're asking for something, search God's will, search God's scriptures, search for God, continue these things. I feel like I'm beating this horse to death with the map thing, but I would, I, this the only idea that keeps coming to mind, because I think the past three sermons I preached, I put a picture of a map up. So I didn't put it up. I'm just going to talk about it. And so in the idea of a map, you know, if when you think about treasure hunting or these kind of things, you see the guy and he's got the treasure and they're searching, they're trying to figure out clues. You know, national treasure is a great example of this or the Goonies or any of these things. Or they're like trying to decode. What is this? What are we supposed to be getting to? And as they're going through, they realize, oh, we thought this was the idea, but really it's over here and we're over here. And just you'd start cheering along with them as you start figuring these things out. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, keep searching. Don't just do it once. Keep after this. If this is important to you, keep on it, stay on it, because that's what's going to make God is cheering for you. He's there. He's excited. And so he's saying, ask, keep yourself in that place of humility, but then keep searching. Don't just expect the answer is going to come and fall right in front of you. In fact, in Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, God reminded the, the Israelites and the prophet, he says, you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. He doesn't want half-hearted attempt behind this. And I'm not saying that prayer is a half-hearted attempt if you're not just on your knees constantly with your eyes closed and with ashes and sackcloth. That's not what I mean. But he's really just how much, how much do you really want this? And you can think in your own life. This has happened either with you or someone who's come and asked you something. You kind of gauge, well, how much do you really want this? How much effort are you willing to put behind this? How much work are you willing to put into this? How much does this really mean? And that's going to judge part of your answer on that. And God's not saying he's going to hold back good gifts unless you work hard enough or do those kind of things. It's more, he wants your heart to be at the point to where you're walking with him and you're seeking. That's the most important thing to God is that our hearts are entwined with his. That's what he's really going for. It's not just work this hard, check off this many boxes, do this. Instead, it's seeking on this continually seeking basis. So remember, it's that continue seeking, continue going. And then finally, on the knocking, what God is saying with that one, keep knocking, the door's open. The one who knocks, the door will be open. So think about this example. If you are going up to someone's front door and you know they're home and you want to talk to them, you're not just going to go... No, well, they're not there. You know they're home. You know they're on the other side of the door and you want to talk to them. So you're going to knock and you're going to wait. And they're not going to answer. You're going to knock again and you're going to answer. now, if you're really creepy, you start going, I know you're in there, but don't do that. That'll that'll get you arrested. We'll see, see you on the evening news. No, but if you know somebody's in there, you're going to keep being persistent. You're going to keep knocking on there. And God is telling you, I'm there. I'm there. I want to keep hearing you. I want you to keep going. And because it's in that seeking, in that knocking, in that asking, that's where our hearts come back to God. That's where we start to walk with him. That's where it's starting to set up new habits, new changes, new other things that are there. It's that constant knocking, not just a little bit. In the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a, is a great short book as it's in the in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is is a little bewildered and a little upset with the Lord. He prays to him. He says, "God, why are all these bad things, bad people getting all these good things? Why are the wicked increasing in their wealth and their prosperity while your people are sitting here hurt? Why are we in this mess?" I've asked that question. I'm going to stand here and wait for you to answer. And that's what he wrote here in Habakkuk 2 And He says, "I'll stand up on my watch," this is Habakkuk himself talking. And I will set up on my tower, and I will watch to see what he, the Lord, will say to me, and what I will answer whenever he reproves me, whenever he answers back. So, Habakkuk's prayer, if you actually read it out, is he lays it all out before God and says, And I'm going to wait right here until you get back with me. And then I'll be ready to answer you after you tell me whatever I need to hear. What a powerful way of looking at prayer. Because whenever I think of prayer, a lot of times I say, we'll pray for you, we'll pray for this, we'll pray for that, is it's always from a point of, I need help. God, my car won't start. I need your help. I don't have enough money for my rent. I need your help. Someone's sick. I need your help. I don't know what to do. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. I need your help. And God's saying, well, why don't you just come and talk to me, but be ready to come back with, because I feel sometimes it's almost like making this list of stuff and I'm just leaving it there and walking away. But instead, God's saying, no, 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 these are important things. Keep these things in your heart. Continue to repeat these things. Continue to bring these things. And again, not working towards them, but there's something that starts to happen. Because as Michael even said this morning, as we pray, we believe in prayer. We know that God answers prayers. Not all of them are answered, but there is a a conversation that happens back and forth. And how much stronger is God's work going to be whenever we actually follow God's plan? You know, it's like the old saying, a stop clock is right twice a day. There are chances that our lives will overlap the path that God wants if we do it all on our own. But how much greater would it be if we actually walk with him continually? And that's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, because he wants us with him all the time. And his promise is, is that he will hear And he will answer. He will do these things. But it does have to ask the question that our prayers are always answered and all we have to do is just ask. And I think we all know the answer to that. No, I've prayed for things. I've prayed for things that God has not answered. And I think that's what this second half of this this passage is about. It says, what man among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The idea behind that is is this. So Jesus is saying, let's first start with your earthly father. Let's just kind of give you some context here. If you're a kid and you go ask your dad for some bread, will he give you a rock to eat? Not as a joke, because I probably would give Jude a rock. But but really but really would you would you give them something if they really need something or if they want to fish would you give them a snake? There's another passage in Luke. It says if he asked for an egg would you give him a scorpion? Well, no, you wouldn't do that. You're a good father. You're going to do those things. We're going to do what is good. And so Jesus is saying, and if you who are evil, you're nowhere near to God's holiness, can do these good things for your children. Can we work together and think that God, who is nothing but good, will only give good things to his kids? And so, if the promise is, is if we ask, if we seek, and we knock, that God will hear us and he will open to us, that whatever the response is, is what's going to be best for us. Because God can only give good gifts when we ask. And that's a hard thing. I get it. Because there are things that we don't understand. As Christians, as people, when we pray, we're like, how in the world, God, is this good? Is this a good answer? I've heard the story from so many people who said that they've turned their back on their faith and walked away because God just gave up on me. God didn't answer my prayer. I prayed, I asked, I fasted, I did all these things, and this still happened. My mom died. The diagnosis still came back all those things. But God, Jesus is saying, God has a vision that is bigger than yours. And it's easy to think about those things whenever you're not in the midst of, because that's where you can start to try to set your heart and your foundation. And so that's why he's saying, look at this, look at all these things. Look at how a father would do this. And if God is good and God is holy and he loves you, is it possible that the answer he's giving you is the best answer, even if it's not the one that you want? And as parents, we've made that decision for our kids, and as kids, you've had your parents make that decision for you, where you've asked for one thing, and that's either been told no or something else has happened, and you're like, but that's not exactly what I was wanting. But there's a hope that later on, you see why. Oh, it's better that happened. I didn't have to suffer these consequences. I didn't have to have this thing. And one day in heaven, we'll be able to talk to Jesus and talk to God and say, can you help me out? Just show me what you were seeing here. And not from a question or an ask to rewind or check the tape kind of idea, but from the standpoint of well, what was really going on. And so Jesus is saying, I want you to be persistent. I want you to ask. I want to train your hearts to be different. Because before, if you remember, most of the work of praying, most of the interaction between the Israelites and between people and God always happened through someone else. It was the priest that did that work. You wanted to say you were sorry for your sins. You had to go see a priest to do this work. You wanted to go and make these offerings. You had to do this. The feast, these other things, God said show up at the party, but the party's always had a grand marshal, which was one of the priests. It was one of these guys. And now Jesus is saying, not that the priests are bad, but I'm just opening up a whole new world to you because that's why he said, you've never asked before in my name. So now you can do all of these things. God is right there. And it's foreshadowing. He, doesn't, he hasn't told them that all of this is going to work, but that was part of what he went to the cross for us for, was to be able to open up this direct line of communication. And in First John, John reminds us, this is the confidence we have. Whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked him for. That's tough. But you got to think about the guy who wrote this. This is the same guy that was in the upper room after Jesus had died, and their whole world was crashed. This guy that they've been following for three and a half years is suddenly dead. The entire government wants them dead. They're running them out of town. They are broken. They have no idea what has happened. And the last thing they were just stand up and sit up here because something good is going to happen. These are the same guys who were weeping during that time whenever, before Jesus had appeared. Like, what's going to go on? How is this happening? I'm pretty sure that they prayed during that time. I'm pretty sure that there were some broken hearts and saying, what in the world have I done? This is the same guy. So think about the author here. It's not just somebody wrote this down after studying. He lived it. This is the confidence that we have when we ask anything according to his will He will hear us, and we know that he hears what we're asking and that he will give us what we've asked him for, even if it's not exactly what we asked him for. So the idea here is when you're walking, seeking, asking, knocking, knowing where Jesus is, but it's in an order. Asking, putting yourself in a place of humbleness. Lord, I need help on this. I want you to talk to me about this. I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Or, you know, I just woke up today and I still don't even know what's going on in the world around me. Would you help? Would you help me get through that? And today I'm gonna seek out, I'm gonna try to find out where you're going, Lord, and what you're needing me for, but I'm gonna act in confidence That same ask, seek, knock is that same thing from Matthew 5 that Michael preached on from Sermon on the Mount quite a while ago where he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you need to bring that back out, Michael also used the the idea of what if it was a construction worker instead of a fisherman that Jesus had talked to? Would he have said something like, come follow me, I'll make you builders of men? He would have put it in context. And so that same idea, come follow me, put yourself in a place of listening, I will make you, I will transform you, fishers of men to be able to go out and do work. Ask, put yourself in a place of humbleness. Seek so that my heart and your heart will become closer together. And knock, turn it into action. Because knocking is an action word. So how do we stay there? Because it's real easy to talk about this, right? And I started with how easy it is for me to get derailed. I have the best of intentions And sometimes it doesn't work. My wife will tell you I'm good about getting about 80% of a project done. And then it sits for a little bit. Because you got to kind of meditate on it. You know what I mean? You gotta guys understand this. You know, you gotta you kind of get there. It's it's functional, but I gotta get there. She's like, you know, I'd really like it to be all done. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. We just gotta make sure we're on the right path. Those kind of things. Or I come up with the best plan and it sounds great on Sunday, and then Monday happens. I'm gonna get up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm going to spend quiet time with the Lord, and it's going to be great. And then at 6.30, I'm like, oh, I need to hit the snooze. I'm still tired. So how do you get there? So here's a couple of ideas. First, what if you start with, before you set the goal, why don't you just create the desire? Create the desire to talk to God, to be with God. Michael Fay said that the BAME kids were singing the I'm not even going to sing the song. He was singing the song, and it was a very catchy tune, and so the kids were singing it in the car. How great is that? What if you just start your day instead of listening to the radio, what you normally do, just listen to praise music? What if you start your day by the first thing you look at on your phone is a scripture instead of email, social media, or any of these other things? And let that scripture kind of set the tone for the day. And there's all kinds of ways to get this stuff. I mean, the Bible Gateway has got a verse of the day you can sign up for. If you use the Version Bible, it actually shows you one every day. It'll even set an alert on your phone and show up for you so you can just find it. You don't have to work hard if you want to. You can just go through just a psalm a day or just a verse a day. But start to create that desire to talk to God, and that desire comes by spending time around Him. So think about what that looks like in your life before you even set that goal. And then when you do get there, commit a time. And I think that's really important. I don't know... I, So in my world, my schedule is on a calendar, and that calendar runs my life. I I, I would like to tell you that I get to run my calendar, but a lot of time the calendar runs me. But if I have a meeting with a client or I have a meeting with somebody, it goes on my calendar. And if that time is on my calendar, I'm usually pretty good about not scheduling something else over it. That's committed. I've given that time to you. I wrote it down. That's yours. I've even accounted for, do I need to drive to see you or drive back to see something else? If, you know, if you're going to show up for work and you have it on your calendar, work starts at 8, you don't wake up at 8. You get up, you have something important, it's there. But if you just say, oh, I need to, and it's just kind of in this nebulous thing, that to-do list scrambles around. So commit a time. Maybe it's just during your lunchtime. And so you can just say, during lunchtime, I'm going to sit, I'm going to eat, and I'm going to read this, I'm going to pray about this, I'm going to do this. Whatever that is, commit a time, but actually be consistent in that. So that that way it begins to be something you get to. And then number three, start reasonable. I always say this because there's nothing that is more discouraging than saying, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start a Bible reading plan. I'm going to do the Bible reading plan in a year. And so I don't know if you guys have ever done a Bible reading plan in a year. Commit to about 35 minutes a day of Bible reading if you're going to do that. Which sounds like 35 minutes, I can do that. No problem. Week two you're like, oh man, I got to read 75 minutes because I've already missed a day and now I got to catch up. Week four, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I am so behind. I'll never get through this in a year. I'm going to listen to it at 3X speed on my phone <laughs> because now I'm getting it through. I will make this happen. At the end, you're like, put it on your head while you're sleeping. You're like, Lord, I'm hoping to get there. So just be reasonable. Be reasonable. Just start small, not that you don't ever need to push yourself, but start reasonable because if you start reasonable, then you get to have those goals. And then if your heart is there, you're continuing in that asking, you're in that seeking, you're in that finding, you're in that knocking, you're going to want to do it more. And God will will pull you along in that. And then finally, you got to take the first step. My, My friends and I used to always joke about the number of Bible studies and book studies that were on our shelf You know, you go through this book, and it's a six weeks class, or maybe it's a DVD class, and you fill out the workbooks, and you, man, this was great. What are you gonna do with it? It's gonna go on the shelf with the other ones. I'm not looking at that again. Hopefully, I remember it. But really, take that first step and go in. And here's what I want to encourage us on. Did you guys see on this wall out here when you walked in? Anybody pay attention to that wall? Not you guys. Anybody else? I'm looking for head nods. Okay. Well, for you guys who aren't nodding your head, I encourage you, when you walk out that door right there, take right real quick and then look behind the door, because on that wall, there's two really important things. Number one is a big poster board that Katie Faye made for us that outlines some of the things that we're doing for the Summer of Good Works. Now, it does say on there, if you have other ideas, please talk to the elders, send them in, and so that way we'll write them on there. Don't write on that one for yourself. That's why it's up a little higher. So not that you are not allowed to come up with your own ideas, but just it's, just work with us like going to the coffee shop. You can't just hang things up. You got to talk to somebody else. But the idea behind that is look at the things that God is doing on there. There's a cookout. There's uh, serving uh, breakfast to the firemen. There's making uh, care packages for homeless people and people you see on the side of the road. Going to nursing homes. There's all these things that are out there. And on the church website, myencounterchurch.org slash there's also a button on the homepage. There's a place for you to put in. What are you doing? Go ahead and type those in. And it's not for your glory. It's not so that we can say, oh, Joyce is doing this great thing. It is so awesome. You guys, everybody, just give Joyce a round of applause. It's not that. It's more that God put on Joyce's heart to do this. And so let that start to be able to be shared by others. And in some people, their gifting is not to organize and go out. Your gifting may be like, I don't really know what to get started with. But if you give me a task, I'll be there. I'll jump right with you. So what a better way to share. Or maybe it's just a solo kind of thing. And you're just wanting to share because how much, greater, how much greater joy does it cause whenever other people are infected with it? And that's with the one sheet out there. But tying into our message today is the other sheet that's on the wall. And it says, what do you want to see God do this summer in our church? And there are markers out there. And we encourage you to write. You don't have to sign your name to it. But what do you want to see God do? Because when we came up with the Summer of Good Works, it was quite a couple of elders' meetings that that brought this whole idea together of if there is a way that if we're going to start with scripture's true, we're going to, we're just going to go from there. And God says his church is equipped to do all these things. Ephesians says that he's got good works that he set out before time itself for you to do. And he wants you to work in those. It says also in Ephesians that we've been thoroughly equipped for all of these things. Then what would that look like if our church actually did that? What would that look like? And so that's why we went through the spiritual gifting and with your passions and your values and your life history and these things about how has God created you? And what are those things that he wants to see you do? But it's not for our glory, it's for his. And so what do you wanna see happen on there? And there's already a couple on there that have been written. I encourage you guys to read them. But uh, even more, write on there. What do you wanna see God do this summer? And not just this summer, but, but continuing on. It could be just a Bible verse. It could be something more important, but the idea behind that is that there are actually big, gigantic sticky notes, and so as we write on there, we're going to journal for the church. So this is what we're praying for. This is what we're doing. Take that one off and put it over on the wall, and then we've got a brand new sheet, and we can also use that up as a big post-it. Look at that and join us in prayer as we are seeking God, because as a church, if our church puts ourselves into a place of, God, our world is broken right now. But you promise that you will provide for everyone and that there's an eternity to come that is greater than any problem we have now. Any inflation, any $17 gas prices, any of the, it's not 17 yet, but just hold on. No, you know, any gas prices, any of these other things that are going on, you are bigger than those. And so we put ourselves in your, in your submission that we want to rely on you more than anything else. And we're going to keep seeking after your heart with a whole heart, and we're going to boldly approach your throne of grace because you said we could. What does that look like? And that's why I encourage you in taking that first step. What is God telling you? What do you, what do you? When you think about this idea of good works or just in our church in general, what do you want to see God do? Write it out there, and let's look at it together, and let's celebrate together. Because Jesus says, if we keep asking, it will be given. If we keep searching, we'll find it. If we keep knocking, the door will be opened. For everyone, not just some, everyone who asks receives. The one who searches will find, and the one who knocks, the door opens. That is absolutely amazing. That the son of the living God stood before a crowd of men and women, and it was written down for me and you to read today. And he says, I'm waiting right here. And as I gave the example of that knocking on the door and knowing that someone is home, and so you're going to knock a little bit more because you know you're there. Jesus says, I'm waiting right here on the other side. God is there. He's ready to open this door. Come in and be there. Just be diligent and persistent because it's not always a first-time deal. And so I encourage you as your heart as it, when those things don't seem to be answered maybe it's because God is giving you a different answer or maybe it's just you got he wants you to keep keep on that keep in there. Think about those prayers that last for years. Think about those things that we continue to seek but just don't fall back into the place of just sitting and waiting because that scripture doesn't say wait sit around and somebody'll do it for you. It says ask, seek and knock. And he says it's for everyone. But Jesus also said, when you ask in my name, and and later on in scripture, he says the people who get to ask in the name of Jesus are the ones who have put their faith in him. And that's the biggest encouragement from this, of walking in God, walking as a Christian, that the world is not all sunshine and rainbows, but there is a place of joy and there is a place of comfort that comes from that.